Now it's all gooey and sticky. Packing bowls and freeing souls from America's heartland. You're listening to Bowl After Bowl with Lorian and Spencer. That's why his body fell apart. And I'll fight you. Oh, you know what? You're fired, bud. Bowlafterbowl.com. He totally knew I was stoned. Clothing is optional, but pot is not. I love Sir Spencer. Oh, the Bowl After Bowl guy? They have some of the most soothing voices I've ever heard in podcasting. Don't tell them we're high. Listen, we may be a little high. I mean, late. Hey, don't hate when it's a little late. Because it is 9.11 p.m. in the new uh, daylight saving time here in FEMA Region 7. March 12th by my uh, calendar here. You're listening to a special edition of Bowl After Bowl because it is a Sunday. A stony Sunday. And we're coming at you with a Bowls with Buds. I'm Sir Spencer Wolf of Kansas City. I'm Dame DeLorean. And joining us for the very first time in the Bowl, my good friend Ben Owens. Thanks for having me, Spencer. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Good to hear from you again. Yeah, it's been ages. We were just uh, talking about that right when you joined the call a little bit earlier. It's been been forever, man. It's been like uh, like a decade, maybe a decade. Yeah, it's Cl- crazy. Close I think. To it. Yeah, we all feel so connected these days online. But <laughs> I know it's it's funny because uh, I stay in touch vicariously, although most of the time indirectly. But I've been uh, subscribed to your stu- Substack for quite a while now. Oh well, I appreciate the support and. Uh, it was funny. I've had this in my inbox for a while, and I kind of wanted to lead off with it because I thought it was hilariously appropriate. Uh, oh boy. I've, I've been on your Substack, and um, I reached out to you maybe, uh, it's been over a year since I first was like, hey, you want to do a Bulls with Buds? We've, we've been doing these things for probably a couple years now, where they're kind of irregularly scheduled interview style uh, episodes that we just kind of tack on to the feed, you know, it's another episode of Bull After Bull, but we call them Bulls with Buds, uh, and it's not on a regular Tuesday. And you were like, yeah, anytime, Uh, and then I just kind of really essentially, like, didn't uh, follow through on it. I dropped the ball, but I've had this sub-stack of yours marked as unread ever since it landed in my inbox, and the date of it is October 7th, 2021, and uh, the subject line, nothing is urgent. Nothing, okay. is, nothing is urgent. If you've got a moment, though, I'd love to talk about why. And you kind of break down uh, how kind of early on when we're on our, you know, first forming our adult lives, it's like every little thing is something I have to chase down and get on top of. And it's kind of funny because sometimes the trap of urgency uh, gets me into this first in, first out mentality where um, I have something that I want to set up or follow through on. But then a couple of new things come in, and then that becomes the priority shift. Uh, so I just kind of wanted to revisit this whole di- idea of nothing is urgent. And finally yeah. finally rolling this thing out, it kind of like, I had all this guilt about not getting the scheduled until this uh, in, this substack came in. 
And then I was like, oh, it'll get, it'll be all right. It'll come together. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. It's uh, like you said, you know, if it's meant to happen, it's meant to happen. I'm more Fati. But um, my, I had a good buddy in college, Tyler, and he's had a startup that I ended up helping out right after college. And the essence of the business was it was a food delivery business like DoorDash or Grubhub. And one of the things we, you know, my job entailed was making sure the menus were accurate. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a life or death urgency situation. But when you're fielding, you know, 20 calls to your dispatch on a Friday night because the wings said they were $8.99 and really they were $10.99 and people are getting charged, it like can feel very urgent. And similarly, years later, you know, I've got another good buddy, Nick, who I work with uh, for our detoxify and you know, he regularly gets pounded by uh, accounts or, you know, sales problems or Amazon issues or things like that. And, you know, I think it helps to have a counterpoint to be like, look, like nobody's dying. Nobody's there's no blood. There's no you know, like this isn't urgent. Like it's urgent. It doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't need our attention. But the urgency that we're treating this with this fight or flight adrenaline rush, you know, panic is undue and it at the end of the day is, you know, it costs us a lot as far as our ability to focus, our ability to be productive, all of those things. Totally. Yeah. I've, I've kind of found that, um, if everything is treated as urgent, then the very next thing you get, um, just kind of reprioritize the last urgent thing. So it's like, uh, my dad always had this cartoon up on his wall in, uh, at his office at work. And it's like this, uh, guy with like big sweat drips coming off of him and he's at this uh like FedEx desk or something like dropping off these packages and the guy behind the desk says uh shall I rush your rush job before I rush the rush job I was rushing when you rushed in (laughs) and it's like (laughs) uh I definitely could feel that because it's like everybody runs in and they're like hey 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 whoa whoa and uh you can either choose to escalate that or you could choose to uh kind of calmly prioritize but um at the same time i wish we would have talked a little bit earlier you know because a year (laughs) and a half two years that's like uh not quite that's like the letting it get to the other side of things (laughs) yeah well that that's fair you know it uh but we eventually got there you know so it all worked out and uh really that's all just me not grabbing a date yeah well it uh, happens you know i've we've we've both been busy it's true it's true um it's kind of how this uh whole podcasting um rebirth or the podcasting 2.0 uh thing has been going to though it's like uh it was the nature of podcasting when it first started that it kind of launched out and then slowly and organically grew over time and uh you know it took many years to become kind of what it is today and it's uh, crazy like what what podcasts are to all of us today it's wild yeah how many there are and how many uh Hours. And how common it is. You don't look like a weirdo being like, hey, have you heard of this podcast? Right. Yeah, it's just a regular kind of, everybody's aware of it now. But yeah, it definitely didn't start that way. Um, in fact, my first iPod, I, did, I wasn't even aware of podcasts the whole time I had it. I had a, my first iPod was the iPod video. Mine too. <laughs> it's like the, uh, it was like. I had a 30 gig black one. Nice. Yep. Yep. That's what I had. Yeah, but yeah, podcasts for me were free snowboarding videos nice. on iTunes. There that was uh, 
that was it. It was snowboarding, skateboarding, music videos, whatever free videos I could get via a podcast. Totally. With no real concept of what that meant. <laughs> yep. Um, it's crazy. It's changed a lot over time. Just exposure and uh, different, uh, I don't know, finding different good ones that I could borrow from and take take notes from and tweak the show. Uh, so when we have new uh, fresh buds in the bowl for the first time. We always love to talk origin stories and okay. and how we met. And so for us, I guess that has to roll all the way back to MU Normal when we were both at Mizzou. Shit, um, yeah. I was gonna say, dude, because we both lived in Twain. Like I remember w- yep. realizing that, and like immediately that was like cool. But I guess it had to be through Normal that yeah. we could all connected initially. I think so. so. Now, yeah, pretty crazy. Are you one of the uh, June birthday gang that we had? Are you a Gemini, uh, or, or were you? I am. No, I'm an August. I'm a Leo. Okay, I remember being at some planning meeting at Scott's house, and uh, it was like getting toward the summer, and then it was just like some weirdness where somebody said their birthday was coming up, and somebody else said mine too, and then all of a sudden everyone was like, "Wait." Who, who all's birthdays in here? And we realized we had June sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth. Oh wow! All in the room, and that's uh, crazy. Yeah, I know there was like uh, I know Scott was in there and a couple of people, but I was wondering if you were part of like that that weird Gemini gang we had all <laughs> in a line. Uh, it was just I like don't a, remember that. I do remember being at Scott's house for random planning meetings, but I don't I don't remember that. Might have been an <laughs> early on one because uh, I got. I got right in there freshman year. Like my intro to normal was getting a little flyer in my uh, mailbox, like most people, that says free weed in humongous letters and then from tyranny in little tiny <laughs> I print. I remember those flyers. And that would always be like the first meeting of the year where like you'd get like 150 kids to show up. And then every other normal meeting was like, you know, the, the uh, hardcore dozen that would always come. Yeah. It was, it's fun though, like thinking about that. Like, my introduction to normal was, man, and I've used this story now too. Like, so my introduction was wanting to be the photographer for lack of a better explanation. And oh, like yeah. being told by everyone, like the RA, my counselor, my mentor, my parents, like, don't put normal anywhere on your resume. Don't yep. let weed touch your professional anything. And now here we are openly talking about weed both you know like living life as open cannabis consumers in legal states i know it's crazy how much things have changed just in the really in the short time relatively that we've been adults you know i mean i remember being excited that columbia decriminalized things yep yeah it's been a wild ride uh so you're well i i get lost in the in the years and when everything happened but like when did you come what was your freshman year so my freshman year was 2009 so fall of fall of 09 to spring of 10 yeah so you're just one year younger or one year um after me yes and then um would you um i i know you came in kind of like with photography uh as the forefront and you were a j school student too right yeah, so I came in kind of out, fresh off the heels of being like high school yearbook editor, wanting to write, wanting to do photos, not really wanting to be a poor photographer or a poor writer, 
you know, as we were all kind of conditioned to believe that's our path. Sure. And yeah, the J school was like, okay, this is seemingly the option. And then, you know, eventually found my way to the Stratcom corner of the J school. So it's funny now. Uh, it's like all Stratcom. Yeah. It's only Stratcom. Oh, wow. It's like the only thing you can get now. I'm yeah, pretty sure. It's quite the a comment on the market in general. You know, if you think about it, nobody's focused on news. They're focused on manufacturing content. <laughs> Definitely. Exactly. <laughs> it was so disheartening because my first year was 08. And that was the uh, 100th year anniversary of the J School's founding. It was founded in 1908. So they had like this big centennial celebration and they brought in like... Oh, all the biggest names they had from J school. Like, uh, there was the guy that hosted Wipeout. He was like their biggest, like <laughs> famous alumni. I can't remember his name exactly. I can see his face, but, uh, he was like one of the hosts of that show Wipeout. Um, and the whole, every talk, every conversation, it was all about how like, basically like, Oh yeah, all you kids are screwed. You know, we as fresh, but we were, uh, Walter Williams, uh, scholars and they had us going around and like reporting on the centennial events you know and we all had word presses and there was like about as many of us as there were other attendees you know so it was kind of weird to report on and they had it all in mizzou arena like the huge basketball arena for these like relatively small events um and it was all just like yeah journalism pretty much dying and like you're not gonna make any money and all of this stuff it was so disheartening you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's like, I remember those days, like the, what was it, J1010, I think was the class. Like, mm-hmm. it was basically doom and gloom 101. Like, this is not going to be a profession that makes you happy or pays your bills or generally, you know, has a future. So, uh, buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of perfect for us because in our niche, we already had to kind of carve out our own spot. You know, we were... Uh, we were kind of signing up for this uh, thing where all of our great resume and CV, like you said, you know, all of our most impressive stuff we did and all of our networking was uh, in this in this normal network, you know, and it was like, you'd say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah I'm, I'm the president of normal. And then immediately, what's normal? And then you'd have to rattle off the whole, oh, National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. And then... You just kind of like, oh, like, you're a pothead. Uh, okay. Uh, 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 <laughs> what? <laughs> the I heard like, marijuana somewhere did in there. You say marijuana? <laughs> like, yes. Yes. You know that's I did. illegal, kid. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, have you done anything else though? <laughs> right. No, it's and it's it's the same thing. I mean, you know, we're we're how ten years, you know, in the future, and it's still depending on the you know the conversation the environment that you're in there's still those those shock and awe at like oh my gosh you're teaching people to grow weed no that can't be (laughs) it's it's kind of crazy man how do you feel about that you know (laughs) um so when you graduated you you headed out to colorado to kind of explore the the legal industry right and kind of so i went to chicago first oh i did not know this (laughs) chicago yeah yeah, so I did the ad agency thing for a bit. Gotcha. Um, actually, so funny enough, my first job was selling HVAC equipment online. I was writing like copy using Excel formulas to write about like radiators and mini splits and water heaters and all these things. And like we had a big market with 
home cannabis consumers because they were ordering their HVAC equipment direct. And at the time, like, I was like, cool, I smoke pot. They'd like to buy our products. That's cool. Like, didn't think anything of it. But now, like, you know, fast forward 10 years, eight years later, like, it's funny how the knowledge of an HVAC system comes in handy, you know. But I did that. I went to the ad agency scene, did that. And then because I was doing most things freelance and remote, I had the opportunity to move out to Colorado and weed being legal here was kind of a big thing for me. No doubt. So, yeah, moved out here December 15. Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah, so that's uh, that's a lot later than I had even thought. Yeah, so two um, years. I did like a year and a half in Chicago because I did the, the 4 plus 1 at Mizzou first. And then I did uh, did that in Chicago, did the, the agency scene for a little bit. Very nice. So um, your, your bio, of course... Um, you, you list yourself as a cannabis author and uh, I was really interested in like how you um, find, you know, freelance gigs or how you, um, what's like the market like or the hustle like in that, in that cannabis author space. You know, it's funny, like as a co-author, like I, my space has developed with my understanding of it, especially as the cannabis industry has matured. Um, you know, I had a, a friend from college actually reach out on LinkedIn and was like, Hey, how can I break into this space? How can I take, you know, the degree that I have from the same university you have and use it the way you're using it? And it's interesting because there are opportunities that I had available to me that aren't available just in general anymore. One of those things is writing for magazines, whether it was for free or not. You know, a lot of cannabis publications, unfortunately, shuttered during COVID. So that cut out and if they were still publishing they might have been publishing online but they weren't publishing print publications which meant there wasn't ad revenue which meant blah 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 blah. you know the story so um so that unfortunately isn't as much of an option like there obviously are the big magazines you know high times for whatever reason continues to limp along um cannabis now is out there you know the leaf trends there's hemp connoisseur excuse me was who i used to write for Mm mm-hmm they're no longer publishing a print magazine, you know, but then now I'm working, you know, I'm the editor in chief of ethos magazines. So the short version of that long winded tale is these entry level opportunities are a little bit harder to come by now, both because of things like that pandemic shortage of funds, things, but also, uh, I mean, being realistic, chat GPT, you know, like if we're talking about writing it, AI has to be a part of the conversation. And unfortunately what that means is, for the inexperienced person in this space, there's a lot of content you won't be able to get to generate that I did. You know, like I could go and I could call up a dispensary that just launched a website and I could say, hey, you know, you guys don't really have any introductory content. You don't have like, you know, ways to smoke, types of product. What does this mean? How do I smoke a bowl? Like, you know, any of sure. those kinds of just basic info that doesn't take a genius to write. But someone has to write it, you know, like you had at, like at that point, everyone kind of had to have that kind of content on their right. website. Yep. So now there's so much of that content on the Internet. If you open a dispenser, you just go into one of these AI programs and you can probably piece together something pretty quick, finesse it in five to ten minutes of just, you know, making sure that it works. And you didn't have to pay even 20 bucks for a writer. You could pay 20 bucks for chat GPT Pro. And you could do that all day, every day, all month. So that makes it harder 
with that said, I think that because the industry is maturing, there are more opportunities for people like you and I, people that have gone through the formal education process with writing, not necessarily because we have degrees, but because we understand writing at an advanced level beyond just literally the act of writing. It is, you know, a, a tool in this storytelling ability. And so when I think of the cannabis space, you know, I think of it in a lot of ways like early tech. You know, there are people with a lot of money and they've got the budget to do marketing, but often they have the mindset that weed sells itself. And then you've got the people who value this content, this, you know, educational effort, but often don't have the wherewithal to pay what it really is valued at. And so the short answer to how do you get involved in this space doing this is generally work for free or not, you know, pennies on the dollar and use that is a multiplier opportunity. You know, like sure. my great example is working for the Hemp Connoisseur magazine. I just started submitting articles to them originally for free. I was just like, you know, I'd love to see this published. Somebody's got to do it. And eventually they were like, would you like to write for us for 10 cents a word? And at the time I was like, um, I mean, that doesn't even buy me an eighth of weed. Right. So <laughs> like, um, sure. But like because of it, I got to write and work with – you know, like people like Colin Gordon at Ethos that ended up leading to this opportunity of heading up a magazine with him. And so those are kind of what I would say are the best opportunities is like if you can put yourself in a place where you're profiling people who have done it, whatever it is, whatever they're successful at, getting to build that network is easier when you have the backing of someone like a magazine or a newspaper or something like that. You can't just call up, you know, the founders of these companies and say, Hey, I want to sit down with you for two hours. When do you, when are you free? You know, but if you have that opportunity through a publication or through any sort of online effort, you know, even these days with newsletters, like newsletters are becoming a respected form of publication. Like yep. if you've got, a large newsletter or a large podcast following that can get you indoors that that specific opportunity may not be paying your bills, but the networking opportunity is there for you to, okay, this guy writes, you know, I've had multiple instances where the people I've profiled have either referred me to clients or become clients themselves. Nice. Yeah. That makes sense. The just kind of, it's it's like the, you know, planting the seeds and then letting those mature out later. You know, you might not get the reward right away. Right. And it's not something that, you know, it's, I've been doing this in Colorado now for, you know, going on seven years. It's not something I would have wanted to be told those first few years, you know, like, oh, you just lay the groundwork, do the long game. Yeah. It'll pay off. And that's hard when you're like, right, but I have a utility bill I need to pay or whatever. Sure. So, and don't get me wrong, like cannabis has by no means like made me rich. I'm still on that bottom level of that hustle, but, um, I have a long term game plan. And I think that that's also what I would advise somebody trying to enter this space is like, know it's not just where you want to start, but know where you want to end. Like, do you want to own a dispensary? Do you want to be an international licensing consultant? Do you want to help with compliance? Do you want to run lab tests on weed all day? You know, like, do you want to spend it in the grow? Like, those are things that you should answer because if 
you don't know where you want to end up, you probably won't get there. Um, like if you are like, this is fun. I want to work in weed. I'm going to make millions unless you're willing to just recognize opportunity. And you're really good at that and learning as you go, you're probably not going to have the direction needed for that success that you're hoping for. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Um, I also appreciate too, uh, I was looking at a couple of your other newsletters or sub stacks and, uh, this one in particular, oh, there's some, <laughs> there's some bowls, uh, some bowling balls rolling in, by the way, these are our bowlers boosting the show live. Oh, that's fun. Uh, so that's some sound of some Bitcoin hitting the node, uh, including 420 sats from Booberry who said, rip it. That was right before the show. But those last two. Uh, Booberry hit us with a little 69 action. 69! 69, <laughs> 69, dudes! Uh, 69, 69 sats out of Podverse, and he said, now it's time for some hot newsletter talk. Uh, <laughs> and then 3333 coming in right after that from Cotton Gin, who said, uh, I want to smoke some weed. <laughs> so, uh, so when are we smoking some weed? Yeah. Right here, man. Here you go. I'm passing you the bowl. Um, there you go. But anyway, I was uh, going to say I really appreciate your um, continued focus on the lives of people who are really negatively impacted on this continuing drug war. Because it's easy for us as a more legal markets roll out and more cool products roll out and more fun conventions roll out. And, you know, like the, the times, uh, the way they've changed in the last you know, 15 to 20 years, it's, it's easy to lose the, uh, the perspective and these, these casualties of the drug war. And, and for myself, I've lost a lot of people like, uh, not only to like incarceration, but also like to gang violence and other, uh, nefarious stuff that only exists because of prohibition. And, uh, one of your sub stacks from, um, about a year and a half ago, a letter from a drug war inmate. I kept this one around too, and I read through it a couple of times just because I, this is the kind of stuff that always kept me engaged and kept me fighting. Like for the person who's like locked up because they hit a three strikes, you know, we, we, uh, worked really hard to get Jeff Mazansky out of jail in Jeff city. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, this one is about Jay Lee. And uh, I, w I was just wondering if you wanted to speak a little bit about um, how you keep that as part of your focus and, and um, the people that you've met along the way like this. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm fortunate that now living in Colorado, most of the stories I hear that fall in this category are, you know, decades prior. Um, mm -hmm. There are there are a lot of people that came out here and to other legal states that did so because they were facing charges or they had escaped charges or, you know, things along those lines. Um, you know, this particular situation with these letters, I have a former boss and mentor who ended up getting caught up in, you know, what, what the federal government called a conspiracy. Um, and he ended up, you know, in a penitentiary. He is currently serving his third year uh, at USP Thompson. So, it's unfortunate uh, that that's happened to him. You know, luckily he had 11 years fighting in the court system, 11 more years of freedom than he had hoped. Um, and he's, you know, working his due diligence in, in the system to try to get out. But um, 
I had that has the added benefit, unfortunately, of you know I have a direct line into kind of what's happening on the other side of the fence of this conversation, and so you know he reaches out on occasion and asks for my take on things, my you know where I look for information, things like that. But he's also you know he's an educated fifty something guy who likes to write and likes to read. He's read like a few hundred books since he's been in. He's working on turning all of these letters and you know stories into either a book or and or actionable you know calls to action for his community for people to see what's happening and kind of encouraging that reform. So I guess the short answer to your question is I'm blessed to have somebody who unfortunately as his you know as unfortunate as his situation is um, he also is providing insight into kind of the the other side of this endless war that we're on um you know it's it's really kind of hard because things like k2 and spice wouldn't exist if cannabis was legal yeah and so the fact that there's you know not only people serving jail time and you know doing real time for cannabis related crimes but it's all the crimes that are the result of there being a drug war against cannabis like there there wouldn't be a k2 or spice problem there wouldn't be some of these additional problems. It wouldn't be a crack problem if the drug itself was less of a demonized factor in society. Yeah, definitely. We would just kind of be still at the base layer of plant-based medicines. You know, we wouldn't have to jump in and uh, kind of fudge the molecules to make a product that's basically a legal loophole that you could smoke. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Oh, man. The Bocomo Dew, bro. I used to smoke Bocomo oh, Dew when man. I when I first thought I was getting a drug test for my internship. I uh, I was like, oh, I guess I got to smoke the fake stuff for a month. The old Bocomo Bay, Bocomo Dew, blueberry flavored fucking oregano. That guy ended up getting. Uh, they kept busting him. I don't know what happened, to him, but he kept times, getting busted. Right? I remember they kept the... busting him for making it. Like he was like, all right, I'll, I'll stop, and then they'd come in and he was making more of it. Oh man. <laughs> I remember they like dug up a bunch of platinum bars and all kinds of stuff and seized from him. That was like a ridiculous time. Every time I went in that store, it was like first it was like a porn shop with like a back section that had a couple pipes, and then it was like a full on brewing shop. And oh yeah, then it went like all UFC. It was like this constant rotation of things. And you were like, dude, I just want to go back in the back and buy a bong. I don't care what all this new stuff is. <laughs> His uh, hobby of the month. Yeah. I'm like, I know you're now as a business owner, I'm like, so basically you, yeah, like you said, you have a hobby of the month and you're figuring out how to write it off. <laughs> uh, cheers, by the way, to make heroism. We just hit us with that one on one on one sats out of fountain. Appreciate you. Um, yeah. So, I also kind of, uh, we try to reiterate on the show, uh, just for kind of perspective sake that like all these new state and local regulations roll out all the time, loosening and loosening all the cannabis laws across the nation, but federally everywhere, you're still at a schedule one situation. Like federally, it's still totally illegal. And, and we're kind of in this weird spot, you know, like in order to comply with state law, Everyone's going to break all these federal laws. And so banking is weird. And uh, anytime you're talking about getting something from another state, it gets complicated. Um, have you, have you, has your writing taken you into any of those places or have you seen any kind of those complications up close? 
Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's hard because when you're trained on how to do something in an industry with regulations that make sense, you don't understand these obstacles that you face when it, when things don't make sense. Like when I came into this space from working in the ad industry with, you know, the Chicago Department of Transportation and Toyota and clients that exist in mature industries that are, you know, well-regulated and have existed for years. Mm-hmm. Um, there were things that you can do that you, you can't do in cannabis and you can't do in hemp and you can't even do in, you know, ancillary businesses like detox specifically because there are regulations that prohibit it. You know, like when I first started working with hemp companies, I was like, you guys got to put more information out there. There's nothing on this bottle. I don't know what 300 to one means. 300 of what, what is this for? What's in it? What is, what kind of hemp oil? Is it seed oil? Is it, high cannabinol oil is it like what is it and they're like well we can't say any of that (laughs) (laughs) so you're like oh nice you're nice so you just put hemp on the front and hope people buy it and they're like people do buy it and they spend a hundred dollars a bottle you're like really why um but so that's like it's an obstacle that you don't aside from the technical aspect of knowing how to write like there are things that you you believe should be communicated for the best experience of the consumer that simply cannot either because they're afraid to say it or because you outright cannot say it. Sure. That's funny because that reminds me of, uh, one of the newer things that's going on, uh, locally at some hemp shops here is, uh, there's essentially a loophole that, uh, some hemp shops are using, uh, because of the testing deadlines. And uh, when testing has to be done on a plant, um, there are basically plants submitted for testing before maturity while they're, you know, pre-harvest that meet the definition of hemp. And then once they formally bud out, cure, and hit the shelf, uh, that test, as far as THC content, is dramatically different. And so, essentially... There are certain shops where they're just operating under the hemp bill rather than operating under the new state uh, licensure system. Uh, but they're selling, you know, just straight up D9 uh, regular hero weed, you know. And <laughs> it's, um, it's it's fascinating. It's it's crazy how wild west it is because it's. I mean, it's always been wild west. You know what I mean? Like we've. When, when we first got a hold of weed, you know, it was like as illegal as it's as as legal as it's ever been. Uh, and now it's kind of like, oh, well, because of this and this, it's like a little less illegal. <laughs> it's uh, so it's funny. I have a I have a buddy, Andrew, who owns a smoke shop out in South Carolina. And I talked to him about this kind of stuff on the regular because, you know, he lives in South Carolina and he owns a smoke shop in a state that still doesn't have any sort of legal protections. Yep. Um And it's interesting, like, one, you can tell that the people that are trying to regulate this, like, genuinely have no understanding of what they're doing. Totally. And I think that they're well-intended, but, like, he can sell baller jars of Delta 9 that's Mm hemp-derived in extract form, but he cannot sell Delta 9 edibles. Like, he, if he takes the baller jar and he goes home and he makes cookies and he puts them on his shelf, that's illegal. Wow. But selling the actual hash is not, or, you know, I guess it's not hash, but, um, it's so, so things like that, you know, and what's real funny is in 2016, when kind of this, this whole, you know, trend really started the CBD trend, everything started kind of on this upswing. 
uh, I remember do, calling him and being like, dude, are you putting like giant gallon jars of hemp flour on your shelves and did, like deli style selling eighths and stuff? He's like, no, why? He's like, I was like, I see smoke shops starting to do this. Yeah. And it's mind blowing that they've never been raided. And he's like, that's why I won't do it because, you know, I'll get raided. And, you know, here we are six, seven years later and he can sell baller jars of Delta nine, you know, distillate yeah. essentially. It's crazy. I remember the first time I ever saw here in Missouri, like weed behind glass. And I was like, I had to go into one of the, uh, one of the head shops on Broadway. Cause my downstem broke in my bong and I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't been to a head shop in a couple of years, you know? And I walk in there, and they've got, like, a QP in a vacuum seal bag behind a glass, you know, in, in this one section. <laughs> and then they've got, like, zips and other stuff. But, like, at the bottom is this big-ass QP, and it's it's bud, you know? And I'm looking at that, and I'm like, I point to it, and I look at the guy. Like, the they, it's got a $1,600 price tag on it, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like, that's the number. Like, <laughs> like... I'm like, can you tell me what's up with this down here? Like, what's going on? Did I miss something? Like, did I miss a law rolling out? (laughs) Right. Did someone? When when were we allowed to stock QPs? Right. And he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." That's when I first heard about the whole CBD thing. Of like, he's like, "Yeah, fifty state legal." That's what they keep saying. You know, fifty state legal is like the magic phrase. It's like, yeah, yeah, this is fifty state legal. So so, you know, CBD hemp. It's like uh, 0.03% THC or whatever. You know, everybody's exploiting. And that was the first time I saw it. And I was like, man, you know, it's weird because we're in Missouri and Missouri already has a CBD law and there's only two people allowed to make that. And they're both over in St. Charles, you know, and then that has to be like, <laughs> uh, you have to have like a very short list of uh, intractable conditions. Well, I remember like when, the, when that first rolled out, when it was like 0.03% by net weight, I, I remember calling people and being like, okay, so am I overthinking this or not? Let me get this straight. I said, I could have a chocolate bar. That mm-hmm. weighs like 100 grams of chocolate, just normal chocolate. Yeah. And as long as there's like less than one gram of THC in there, so there's less than a like 1,000 milligrams. Hypothetically, I put 300 milligrams of THC in this bar. It's 100 milligrams of chocolate. That's legal yeah. because it's delta-9 below a certain concentration. Right. I was like, how is nobody doing this? And then... I saw the first company to do it was like two years ago. They were advertising in the Champs magazine. It was like Trojan Horse Gummies or something yep. like that. And I was like, holy shit, it's on the nose. They're literally like, ha, there's Delta 9 in here. Yeah. It's 0.3% <laughs> by weight. You know, they right. just like we follow by the letter. <laughs> yeah. I remember when Lorian brought that uh, story on the, uh, we, we have this segment called Behind the Curtain where we do all the weed updates. And, uh, that's really what it was, right? Like by the letter of the law, the weight of the yeah, of the THC. And it all comes down to, you know, how much how much do you have set aside for your lawyer to use yep. to fight your case? You know, like and- <laughs> if you're sure you're right, then you just got to have the budget to do that proving process. Yep. And then it's like how froggy are the local authorities too, you know? Like do they even want to waste their time with it? In Jackson County here, they have already said like it was probably around the same time like 16 or 17 that they said hey we're not even going to bring any case for anybody possessing in uh 35 grams or less like we're just not even going to prosecute that um whatsoever 
And so they haven't been prosecuting it here for way longer than um, the legal system has been in place. But, uh, you know, and then you get other counties, more rural counties, though, still try to crack down on anything. Um, so it's it's just kind of interesting. I did, though, when I saw that big bag of weed, I called Dan Veets and I was like, hey, <laughs> Dan, did I miss some kind of law rollout? Or, like, I know that I have not been really, like, super involved and on the ball uh, for the last few years, but, like, is this <laughs> I for real? I would have seen that one. Yeah. He was like, no, that's like a Wild West interpretation, you know, like, that's... Uh, it's not within the Missouri definition of hemp, but uh, I was like, yeah, they're they're really going for it, man. And, and you know, I haven't heard anybody getting cracked in the head or having their stuff taken. Now, there is one huge player out here, American Shaman, CBD. I've heard that name. And, um, like, he is set up now to where he's, like, in high V stores. Like, if you walk into a grocery store, you know, usually there's, like, a, like, Sometimes they've got like a subway or a community America bank or some kind of like business leased inside of their grocery store. He's in some grocery stores like that. American shaman, you know, it's like there's billboards on interstates. There's like, he's got a huge operation and he's now been uh, like the latest we had on him was what he was ignoring letters from the DEA, FDA, FDA. Um, they're trying to like get him to cease and desist his stuff, and he's just kind of like, mm. yeah, like all the pet treats that have CBD in them and CBD I mean, edibles. I, it's interesting. Like we're in such an unregulated space, so like somebody has to be made an example of on a periodic basis, mm-hmm. you know. And the more noticeable you are, the more likely that's going to be you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think those these guys that just stay small and blend in and uh, have just a few shops around town. Like you can now get some quality straight up, like high 20 to low 30% Delta nine without any kind of, uh, you know, ID scan or any of the other steps that uh, most of the regulated places are required to uh, put you through. I mean, it's really crazy to think about like, and I've been tossing this idea around a lot lately and i've got some newsletters in the works with a couple people but you know the future when we think of the future of cannabis like we're like if we're at the crux now and prior to everything you know us that's how it is and how it was but it's not how it will be and moving forward it is a different market it's likely that we're going to be moving in the general direction away from smokable cannabis, you know, like the, the majority of cannabis consumed and used will be through other non smoked methods, whether that's vapes or whether that's all the way to the extreme of, you know, topicals and edibles and drinks and things like that. Um, I just, I think society as a whole has adopted cannabis as a smoking product, Mm -hmm. but it's almost reached its market cap as far as that's concerned. Like eventually with every legal market, we're going to keep seeing flower spikes, but over time, the people who have never wanted to smoke physically as an activity, anything right. Are not going to all of a sudden be like, weed's legal. Let me go buy a joint. Let me see what this is all about. You know, because the, the act of smoking is what they're averse to, not necessarily the substance. Sure. And as society, we keep, moving towards, you know, like non-smokable options and ways that we can protect our lungs and our air quality and things like that. I genuinely think that there's, it, there, 
it's not to say there won't be a place for smokable product. Hands down, flour will always be a part of the market. But right now, where it's a dominant player, I see that shifting, and I see that is going to affect, you know, these ancillary gray market interpretations of, you know, pseudo hemp dispensary kind of model. Right. And, you know, right now, the hemp industry is is almost worse as far as regulations than the patchwork we have with legal cannabis because you can really say and do anything because you're not allowed to say and do anything. Right. Yeah. As soon as you make a decision, it's like you're in this gray area anyway. Like people know the hemp oil at Whole Foods probably is bunk. Right. You know, and that's like an unfortunate mindset to have, but we all know like if, if you're familiar with cannabis at all or you're friends with someone who is like, you've been told, don't buy the the snake seed oil, you know, that they're selling it. Right. Wherever. Yeah, it's it was one of those weird situations when the hemp stuff first rolled out where it's like, okay, well, either it's bunk or it's like illegal, right? <laughs> and, and so right. and so the bigger the name and the bigger the brand is, the more likely the the dice roll falls in the bunk side because it becomes a liability at a certain point, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I do think that there are people that are in this to just make a quick buck, like, without question. And I, then I think that there are people who genuinely want to do the best they can within the rules that they've been given. And unfortunately, both of those are crippling situations, you know? like True, yeah. Even with the best intentions, you're fighting a, a significant uphill battle, whether it's in hemp or in cannabis. Um, you know, I know a lot of cannabis entrepreneurs who quote unquote, who started were successful, looked like they had it in them, hit a rough patch. And that rough patch to your average person was terrible for cannabis. You're like, Oh, that was 2017. <laughs> you know, and it's, <laughs> yeah. um, you have a higher tolerance for these things, the longer you're in it. But that said, if you don't build that tolerance, it's, it's a hard place to be. Um, you know, like you said, banking's an issue. Mm -hmm. Like a Stripe. Stripe is my payment processor for a lot of my websites. It's what my newsletter uses. It's what, like, a lot of non cannabis, never touched a product fund transfers. And yet, like, my Quora, which if you're familiar with Quora, it's a QA website where you can write. Yep. My Quora payments got flagged and my account restricted by Stripe because it was a prohibited business. Oh, my God. And so, you know, I had to go through the whole appeal process, make sure they didn't shut down all my other Stripe accounts and all these things. But it's these general day-to-day -day hurdles where you're – if you're in the cosmetics industry or you're in the weightlifting industry, you're not worried about whether your payment processor is going to shut you down on a Tuesday. That's so crazy, <laughs> man. Yeah, it, it's a real problem. Whether it's uh, the payment processors or the banking services or the um, just anything you need to do to be a business, you know, filing taxes at the end of the year. And, oh, I mean, uh, look like qualifying for homes, like rentals or mortgages. Yep. Like if you're in the cannabis space, like it's not, it's it, it's better, especially in a place like Colorado where you know it's they've had ten years of this, but it's not necessarily easy. You know, like I know I have multiple friends who've had to put. 40, 50% down because of their cannabis association. Damn. Wow. Which is crazy to think about, you know? And it, crazy to think about they had that liquid just chilling, but also crazy to think <laughs> well, about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Must be fucking nice. Must be fucking nice. <laughs> we, uh, 
I, I just always constantly, when we run into these kind of issues, I can't help but imagine, like, how is this not an equal protection violation? You know, it's like, just once you get into weed, oh, but except for weed, you know? Like, yeah, they, nobody wants to be, like, once, and this is kind of the theory with federal legalization, too, is once they figure it out, like, once they figure out how to flip the switch in a way that the banks make money and the politicians benefit from it and generally speaking corporate interest has their ducks in a line i think we'll see it pass very quickly you know it's like you look at missouri or even you look at arizona like arizona had one of the smoothest transitions and i say this as an outsider so anyone who lives in arizona don't hate me (laughs) but from an as an outsider's perspective looking at a lot of other markets who go through this transition arizona's transition from medical only to adult use once they finally got there and the court stopped slowing the process down, like it was relatively painless, almost like Colorado in a sense. And that's something we're seeing more and more of, you know, like, of course there's hindrances. Of course there's markets that are oligarchies and there are bureaucracies involved in limiting, you know, growers and all these things, but we're seeing that transition take place. So it's just living through it. Totally. Um, We did get a boost. Just a few minutes ago from Hey Citizen. So thanks, Hey Citizen. He's out of Podverse, say, uh, 16,969. It's a 169.69 boost. Uh, 69! 69, dudes! He says, welcome to the bull. So welcome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on Oklahoma, because that's a recent uh, uh, initiative failure. And... I think there was just a perfect storm against it. Um, not only, I mean, Oklahoma has been traditionally kind of a tough spot uh, for some of this, but also the off-cycle nature of their uh, their ballot measure. Um, what do you think was like the biggest factor? So I say all of this with the candid nature that, you know, I live in Colorado. I'm not in the market knee-deep in the trenches. Right. Um, my under so I throw I threw cannabis events I throw cannabis events and one at at one point we were looking at doing Oklahoma events and I was just so amazed by how like you said traditionally it's a conservative state you know they're not very liberal socially um, or at least historically they're not known to be that way right so when they all of a sudden were like you can you can smoke pot <laughs> and. I mean, to double down on that, they explicitly, they're the only market I know of that explicitly legalized the right to carry and smoke pot. Yep. So good for them. But they basically did the most libertarian move possible, which was like, look, get your med card, give us our tax money, and we don't care. We don't want to regulate or know. We don't care. Just keep it out of our situation, you know? And like, that was great for allowing a market to mature rapidly, like their product offerings, their selection, their licenses, their cultivations, all of their things rapidly catalyzed because there wasn't that initial bottlenecking. Sure. On the other side, it created a ton of surplus product, a price race to the bottom, terrible cultivation practices, you know, that have now multiple years in people are literally growing out of them, you know, no pun intended. (laughs) Um, But, 
they are. They're like they're learning. They're learning to be better, and that doesn't happen overnight. And so when everybody all of a sudden launches on market, there's going to be problems. And I think one of the unfortunate byproducts of that is public perception. Sure. So, you know, like I saw commentary, again, as an outsider, I saw a lot of commentary on Oklahoma as far as the pushback, which was pot's already accessible enough. Like we don't need it to be legal because it's literally everywhere. And gotcha. When I visited Oklahoma City, I was shocked. I mean, not like I positively. I'm stoked. Like I'm a cannabis consumer. I love cannabis friendly environments. Sure. But to be at a bar drinking and then be like, you can go upstairs and smoke that and be like, I can smoke a joint while I'm drinking this beer up there. Tight. That's cool. You know, like yeah. that's not legal anywhere else. I um <laughs> so that's like killer. little things like that, and you're like Wow, you like we were at a seed swap event that was on the second floor of a farmer's market and we were smoking like tobacco, like blunts smoking, not just vapor. And below us, there was the normal Saturday farmer's market. <laughs> nice. 500 vendors all selling pierogies and all these different things and just normal, like like it should be in a lot of ways, you know, like but because of that accessibility, even to somebody who doesn't live there, I think. If I were to put my money on it, I feel like people are like, ah, we already did it. We already gave you guys pot. It's everywhere. We're done. We don't want to hear about it. But that, again, is a very uneducated, unfamiliar view. I think, like you said, off-cycle voting is huge as far as getting anything to pass. Yeah. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, like – these efforts, they, they take a large, you know, what was it, like 62, 38 or something like that. I mean, that's a – 12 points is a big margin in yeah, these grounds. It was, grounds, a, it you was know, like <laughs> Yeah, so that wasn't – it wasn't like, oh, we could have hit the ground a little bit more. Like that would have taken a lot, you and I both know, to kind of, you know, make that push. Definitely, so yeah. Maybe the market's not ready. Maybe the medical market needs to continue to, you know, evolve and show – how it can evolve and at what pace before that happens. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I can say that like both as a visitor to Oklahoma and also the people that I know in Oklahoma, cannabis is very accessible, you know? So like you, they, at least they have, it's not like it was a detrimental blow and nobody can get it. Like pretty much anyone can get a med card for, and, and go and get products at, at reasonable prices. Um, yeah, that's another yeah. wild thing about the current state of the environment we live in is you can look at like the state by state map and see like who's full legal and who's rec and who's uh uh just medical and who's like got neither and who's just CBD only and even that doesn't really paint the full picture of what's going on, you know, and like full rec in Illinois is a lot different looking than medical only in Oklahoma is a lot different than uh what medical in California was when it, you know, and uh, specifically, you know, with growing has pointed that out to me, like as a consumer, as a buyer, I knew purchase limits and equivalencies and, you know, things like that potency caps and whatever. But when I started teaching people to grow and was like, I should, you know, I'm going to need to do an updated kind of count every six months, see what States have allowed and what they allow. I mean, realizing that like out of the 42 states with some sort of access to cannabis, and I say that, you know, there's a spectrum, but for there's there's access, whether it's medical, recreational, both, limited, um, only 21 of them allow you to cultivate in some fashion. 
And that, like, to me is mind-blowing because we think of this plant as legal. And yet, you know, I have a hear of people in New Jersey. Regularly, New Jersey is the one that comes to mind that, you know, it's still a felony to grow yeah. in New Jersey. And it's really unfortunate because there's a lot of good growers on the East Coast. There's a lot of good weed on the East Coast. Yep. And, you know, like, they're legally cultivating it. And they've locked out the right of the patient to access medicine they grew at home. And... Whether it, whether you're a patient or not, they locked out the recreational user from being able to smoke something for fun and get high. You know, like yep. it's it's an unfortunate duality. And you know, I did a deep dive in the newsletter. I'm sure you saw about like through the lens of alcohol mm-hmm. and looking at like home brewing and things how they progressed. And you know, like we all think of alcohol as like oh, alcohol is legal everywhere, and you could brew your own beer if you want. And you absolutely can. Yeah, but. It didn't. It wasn't until I think 2008, until every state had the legal ability to brew their own beer. And so, when that, when you put it in that light, it makes sense that we're not there yet with this cultivation aspect. Yeah. But it also makes sense because they don't understand. I mean, and they, meaning like corporate interests, generally don't understand that when they think of the home grower, they think of the black market. Right. Well, and they just, think of uh, the old 99 plant count. Even the. <laughs> the legislation that comes up of, you know, if you, you get caught with a grow, you're charged with manufacturing, you know, and it's just so, uh, the, the laws around home grow will at least here stipulate like room size and can't be windows and has to be locked interior room. And like, you have to has, tag your plants. Yeah. This it's a, uh, Oh, and the tags. Yeah. I was learning that with like Missouri and some States make you, you know, as a recreational or as a medical user, you have to buy tags for your plants. It's so it's wild nuts. because it's like, who is this help? Like, how is this making anything safer? And where's the danger in the first place? Like, can you point to the part of the plant that poses a danger to any other human being? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, in this gr- it's in this grow, it's grow practices, you know, and like, so unfortunately, because of the nature of this industry, you know, like you could get away with things that weren't good for the end user, but worked for your crops, you know, and that was what we had to deal with with regulation. Like when all of a sudden people were like, oh, shit, you can't spray Eagle 20 because it could potentially turn into arsenic and be terrible for you when you smoke it. Oh, shit, we didn't know that. We've been using Eagle 20 for 20 years in the backwoods, you Mm -hmm. know, like, and we all, and I say that loosely, but like also specifically as we all as Missouri people living right off I-70 smoked a lot of this fucking weed that was probably not good. And there was a reason it was sent out of state, you know? Right, right. So, but also like regulation wise, it's funny how as an adult, especially as an adult in this space, Things that, like, on paper, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm never going to manufacture drugs. What are you talking about? And then you're like, manufacturing drugs. Yeah, okay, cultivating cannabis. Yeah, I can see that as manufacturing. Yeah. You know, like, you're like, yeah, that's fine. I'm I'm ambivalent to that. Right. Um, You know, I was, a couple years ago, someone who wasn't me, I guess I should say for a disclaimer. <laughs> swim. Uh, swim, right? Yeah, the old uh, forum It's been days. a while since I've heard that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so swim was driving through a state without legal grow protections. Um, and like, it literally occurred to him that there's live, like live plants. Like when you were like, used to read those things and you're like, okay, under an ounce, six months over an ounce, but under a pound a year, Yep. 
over a pound with live plants. You're like, who the fuck is driving around with live plants in your car? Right. I'm like, oh, this is how you end up doing that. <laughs> this is how you end up with live rooted clones. Like they're plants. They're they're clones, it's but they're plants. Crazy. And you're like, wow, this is uh this is what they meant. That's so funny. I that reminds me of a time in in high school. I was I didn't even f- discover weed or see it in person until I was like a a see a between my junior and senior year in high school. And once I like smoked and got in and understood it, I went like from zero to 60 real fast. And there was a kid in our high school whose grandpa had a farm like right on the Missouri, Iowa border. And so he was like, yeah, my uh, grandpa, he has this patch of weed that he just lets grow because the doves like it and he dove hunts. And so all the doves always go to this patch and he can always like hunt doves there. Like there's just always doves. So (laughs) we got this bright idea to drive up and like grab some of that and bring it back. And we didn't know fucking anything at all, right, about weed or what it was or the plant. So we drove up and sure enough on his uh, grandpa's farm, there's just all of this. Essentially it's just ditch weed, right? It's just wild hemp, Right, wild hemp, <laughs> male, land male plants. There's no buds on them. There's no nugs. It's like a a stalk with some weed leaves on it, you know. But we see the stalks, we recognize the weed leaves, and we go out there with like huge hedge clippers and just clip them all at the bottom of the stalk. Just choom, 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 fill up four trash bags full of them, throw them in the trunk of my buddy's ZX2, and then drive all the way back. And it's like I think about that sometimes, of like. A, it's hilarious because what we did with that was we just cut all the leaves off of it and then like put them in Ziploc bags and set them in front of these uh, work lights and dried them out until they were all gross, brown, crunchy, like (laughs) just hemp leaves. B, we uh, smoked it and thought we were pretty stoned off of it. You know, like we were pretty happy with it as a product. And uh, C, if we would have like, got uh accosted at any point and like that's what the hall was like the charge like the weight of that would have been silly oh yeah like i mean it's like we we all try to say you know like what is it like be aware of the things the consequences of your actions you know like that was one of the things i always remember being preached is like it's not that like yeah weed's illegal but, like, if you're okay with that, going beyond that interpretation of what are the consequences of me disagreeing with that statement, mm-hmm. then you're like, okay, cool. Does it mean I get fined? Fine. I can tolerate that. Does it mean I go to jail for life? Probably shouldn't smoke pot. You no know, doubt. like, but, <laughs> like, the things that are in the middle of that range that were, like, in our head, like, oh, this isn't so bad. But on paper, you're like, that would have been really bad. Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of trippy looking back because, like... It could have been a lot different, you know. It's kind of fucked oh, up. Oh man, the stories that I'm waiting for the statute of limitations to pass. Like I, it's funny. Right. Like I, I've got a buddy from Normal, uh, Aaron Malin. You know Aaron. Yeah. Uh, so I reach out to Aaron on a regular basis, and I ask him like random questions, and he's always like, "Just so you know, this isn't legal advice. This, I'm not your of lawyer, course, and of you course, cannot right. use this as legal advice." Because I was like, what is the statute of limitations? Because especially now with what I do with the magazine, right. there's a lot of people with a lot of good stories uh-huh. that are starting to hit that limit. Yep. you know, And they're at a point where it's been 10 years since they've done something illegal. And they can openly talk about their old grow in the redwood forest or whatever it sure. is. 
And I want to be the one who helps tell those stories, but I want to do it in a way that obviously doesn't, you know, expose people to like legal <laughs> cause, trouble, cause problems. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. I don't want to be the one who opens the bag and all of a sudden there's this new investigation. So, you know, it's, I think that's the other thing that people miss is like, because it's a new industry and because of the things like statute of limitations, like I think that there are a lot of people who are casual cannabis consumers that are not in the industry that are like, why aren't there? Why, why can't, they tell these stories and you're like, well, cause they'd be incriminating themselves. And they're like, Oh, I didn't even think of that. And you know, it's, it's just not something you think about. Like when you're in tech and you're like, yeah, I want to read, you know, Steve jobs early years, yep. or I want to see what Bill Gates was like the first year while he was founding Microsoft. Well, he can talk about that because he wasn't committing crimes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it wasn't a, it literally wasn't a crime to be doing those things. Whereas like some of these people now, the unfortunate nature is at the time they were doing things, they were a crime. And so, you know, I don't want to get too into the controversy of sure. all this, but like it came up with this whole Kiraleaf thing with, you know, Boris Jordan and the potential Russian connections. And, um, you know, I own one stock of Kiraleaf for fair disclosure. When I did the newsletter, I, I bought one stock of like 10 different companies as an experiment to prove that I would lose money, which I did. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, but <laughs> You know, fair disclosure, but with, you know, the the indictment or the alleged indictment, you know, of where their fund source came from, I raised this question on somebody's, you know, post on LinkedIn and was like, okay, like, this is an issue, but it's not an issue because of what is happening. Right. It's an issue because it's Russia, it's Kiraleaf, it's a publicly traded company, we're, you know, in this middle of this international conflict. There's all these other things, but it has nothing to do with there's questionable money in the weed industry. Yeah. Like, that is not the problem. And if it was the problem, like, even the the nicest mom and pop shops, some of them got their money through the traditional market. That's the only way they would have had the capital to get into the legal market. Yep. So you have to draw your line in the sand somewhere, and that's where I think people forget that, like, yeah, I'm, even myself, you know, it's easy to say, like, legal like this is this is amazing, right? You know, whatever. fifty state legal, even <laughs> I love right. that. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, like there are a lot of people who either couldn't go legal because they had previous charges, or they didn't have the liquid assets, or simply they don't know how. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's where you know, even educating people on how to grow. Like when I first moved to Colorado, I had the legal ability to grow in 2015, and I was like. I'm going to fuck up the plant. Ain't mm -hmm. no way. I need it automated everything. I'm an idiot. I, I kill house plants. There's no way I can grow my own. And like, it's got to be so expensive and all these things. And I built up all these barriers. And like, in reality, it's never been easier. We yep. have so much access. You know, I talked to, I have a lot of friends that are older growers who did this, you know, 20, 30 years ago when it was not, when you couldn't just drive to the grocery store and drive home. Like you had to go to your uncle's house and borrow his car and then take that to your grandma's house and borrow her car and then take that to the grocery store and then go downtown for 12 hours. You know, like yeah. <laughs> things that we don't even have to think about and are very lucky in that regard. Um, so, you know, I never want to take that for granted, but I do think that it's never been cannabis as a whole, but growing especially has never been more accessible. And I think just like getting into the legal market is prohibitive. Like people don't necessarily know why, they feel there's a barrier to entry. And I think the more people explore those, the more ways they'll find over them. 
Totally. Yeah, I, I like that uh, thought. I always have thought, too, that like some of these um, old tools that used to be so commonplace to us in those days, um, I just think forward to the day where we're showing these things to our grandchildren or like there's a museum with all this stuff in it. Like, oh, I have this Pepsi can and if you twist the top of the Pepsi can, it comes off and, and you can hide weed in there because we had to like... Oh my God sneak it everywhere because it was so you know we didn't want to like <laughs> there's still certain smells that bring me back to like hiding weed in mark twain right like certain for breezes and like you're just like i i that smell is immediately like oh that was the inside of my safe can the dube tube <laughs> yeah the dube tube man i remember hitting bongs sitting like just in the dorm room just blowing it out the window thinking no one had any idea what we were doing right <laughs> oh man and then two floors down there's somebody going holy shit somebody... <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's going on there <laughs> right <laughs> somebody's uh somebody's chief of the dank man oh dude uh and it, another cool thing about all of these uh legal markets rolling out is uh just the quality improvement of all of the products across the board like it's been so long since i've even seen or heard of access to that like Mexican brick that used to be the only thing around <laughs> when I was in yeah. high school, you know, um, it's, I mean, I grew up in Arizona, you know, like we, when I came back from college, I had a friend that, uh, that we used to th all throw in on, it was a $200 pound, but you got an extra ounce. God damn. <laughs> it was 17 ounces of brown weed that was full of seeds. And you used to have to use like a strainer to like strain out your bud, roll it up into blunts or like, just cook with it, you mm -hmm. know, make firecrackers on graham crackers. I remember in high school, it was like 20 bucks was the quarter. And that's like what everyone would buy is a $20 quarter. And then Dude, I didn't start smoking till Mizzou. At, and I started with Nug. At and Mizzou, so when some, it, it, yeah, it's funny. Cause at Mizzou, like the Nug, so the first time I saw real bud was at Mizzou and somebody was like, yeah, I got this really nice bud. I got an eighth for 60 bucks and it's so nice. And I was like, you bought, you paid 60 fucking dollars for an eighth. Like, are you stupid? And then I looked at it and I was like, Whoa, this is fucking beautiful. Like, what is this? See, and I had the opposite experience I had. So I bought my first grandma. weed was like 20 bucks and was like, you know, dro good, good weed. And then I met somebody who smoked pot. Brandon was like, you paid $20 for a gram. I can get you an ounce for 80. Mm -hmm. And I was like, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. Here's 80 bucks right now. You know, like, right. I just paid 20 for a gram. I'll get 28 times that for four. Um, oh my God. It was so terrible. And then we smoked it in receipt paper. Cause I had no Ooh. idea what I was doing. New, new smoker, you know, like thermal yep. receipt paper, terrible weed, drinking caribou lose and a fucking off campus party. Like, <laughs> oh just God. I know the fact that we're all still alive. It's crazy, right? When I was in high school, uh, we would do the smoke out of an aluminum can thing. Yep. And um, it was like a quarter at the vending machine to get the store brand uh, soda can, and so we just like pound a soda and then smash the can and cut it up because you know you you didn't want to keep a pipe on you, so we just oh, smoke yeah. out of a can and then crush it and throw it out the window somewhere. And um, I actually had a buddy who had like long term poor effects from that and we didn't even think of anything at the time you know it was just like what you did and uh god dude looking back it's like wow we were so dumb oh yeah i mean we... the things that yeah like making bongs out of water bottles like yep. mm, plastic probably not a good idea seems like pretty <laughs> bad in hindsight apples apples were the but way. hey you know it's it's 
everything is toxic at a certain point, you know. That's so true. I guess it's choose your choose your battles. I got a buddy who's a vegan who was like, honestly, man, I gave up meat so that I could smoke backwards as much as I want. <laughs> I was like, okay. I mean, I feel like that's a fair trade off. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, I'm like I mean, I wouldn't give up meat, but good on you. you right. Know, you make your decisions. Yeah, you want to drink? You want to smoke? Whatever. <laughs> everybody's got the lines that they draw. You know. Absolutely. I'm interested uh, in hearing your transition into this kind of uh, growing consultant because uh, when I look at your Twitter, which, by the way, you can find at Cannabinoid, uh, C-A-N-N-A-B-E-N-O-I-D, love the pun, uh, same oh, same thanks. handle on Instagram, um, you ha- kind of have the hobby grower shirt on and you are helping people, your tagline is helping people with day jobs grow their first cannabis plant at Grow Hort. And your newsletter is startahobbygrow.com. How did you kind of get into that um, grow consulting and teaching people how to grow? So I, I've i stumbled my way here, <laughs> I guess is the, the short version. Sure. The, the longer version is, you know, in 2019, um, my then girlfriend, now fiance, we – we, we fell into the same routine that a lot of people do. You know, you get home, you're, you're, especially if you're in an entrepreneurial situation, which she and I both are, you know, you're exhausted. You've spent all day doing a lot of people's jobs and you don't want to do anything but turn on the TV, light a bong and slowly fade until you wake up the next day to do it again. Um, and that gets boring and it's not good for us. And, you know, there's a lot of negative aspects to sitting in front of a TV day in and day out, but Without diving into that, you know, I had wanted to switch things up. I was just like, let's do a week of no TV. Let's do, you know, like, let's just pick activities. We went bowling one night. We did arts and crafts one night. We did, you know, and one night happened to be we went to Home Depot and we got a bunch of literal houseplants and tried to keep them alive. Like, as I said, I wasn't a green thumb. And so um, I was throwing cannabis events at the time. You know, some of my sponsors make seeds. I had seeds on hand. It was like, ha this will be fun. I'll plant, you know, a little pot of cannabis seeds as well. And that plant got about six inches tall and I freaked. I, I completely freaked out. I thought the neighbors were going to call the cops on me. I had this very nosy neighbor across the way that like always wanted to talk right. and look at my patio. And so I had to make this decision, you know, am I going to break my lease in an apartment? I was in an apartment at the time, two bedroom apartment um, and grow or am I just going to kill it? And I decided that, you know, it's this is for fun. I want it to be a hobby, you know, like quite literally, like I'm not growing with the intent of potentially selling part of my harvest to pay for the grow or any of the traditional scenarios that you would think of people starting to grow their own. And it wasn't to save money. It wasn't to buy less weed. It wasn't. It was strictly because I was like, this is fun. I have the legal right to do this. And I love weed. Like, why not try to grow my own plant? And I think that there's a lot of people that in this modern age of cannabis, if you're a cannabis lover and you truly enjoy this plant in a lot of different ways, you don't necessarily work in cannabis. You could be an accountant. I've got three people in the grow hort right now. One's a dentist, one's a corporate real estate developer, and one is in the finance industry. You know, like they're not people whose income relies at all on cannabis, but they have a fascination and they have this desire to grow their own plant, even if it's a small amount and it doesn't completely cover, you know, their smoking needs. It's the fun and novelty of, of that comes from a, ho- a hobby, you know, and it's, yep. it's just like anything else. So 
I so that's where I started with the grow, and that's kind of where the newsletter started. Was like as a person, I was noticing personal development that I was going through, and wanted to share that with my audience. And just you know, these are the things that I'm learning from growing my first plant, from growing plants in general, that are helping me in other aspects of life. And the more I talked about that, I found you know there was interest, and over time, that interest dialed down into kind of two big buckets. One being growing and you know growing advice specifically and the other be insight from somebody other than your industry analyst or your you know whatever you want to call them your pundits the the idea of like i'm a grower i'm a consumer i'm a heavy consumer i consume a lot of product that a lot of people don't and I have a unique take on the market as a result of those patterns of behavior, uh, as a result of not working, you know, in a product touching industry, but working in an ancillary space where I work with product touching people. I I have a unique perspective in that regard, and so, with that said, you know, as we enter this age of AI, as we enter this age of cannabis becoming more and more mainstream, more people writing about it, there being a surplus of cannabis content. You know, finding a way to differentiate is the only real way, I think, to to survive in the long run in this space, at least as a writer. You know, if you if I say I'm a cannabis writer immediately, anyone who's never been familiar with the industry probably thinks "Eh, I know one of the names from the guys that used to write for high times back when they were sold next to the playboys at the Seven Eleven, right you know like you're automatically competing with those kinds of famed names so to speak um that even people who aren't familiar with the space are like oh you're like so and so and immediately you've lost the game right if you're being compared to someone else and so on the flip side of that is the imposter syndrome many of us in this space are new to this space and there's this inherent fear of like, well, there are people who know this topic better than I do, so I shouldn't talk. They should talk about it. And at a certain point, one, you just have to get over that. But two, it comes down to specificity. Am I the best person to teach growing as a whole or growing cannabis as a whole? Absolutely not. I, would, I wouldn't take advice for myself as a general know everything, nor would I say I could advise on commercial growing. Sure. But – I can speak to the hobbyist, the hobby grower who is like, hi, on my off hours, when I get off work, I'd love to spend 30 minutes staring at a plant in the tent after I roast a bowl. And that's the kind of person who has the discretionary income, likely has a space in their house where they could probably grow even if they think it's too small. You know, we started in a two by two. That's what I started in. Yeah. Obviously, people start in bigger tents and bigger rooms as well, but- the point of it all is to make it as accessible as possible. And so the more I dove into this kind of segment of it's not the traditional grower that people think of, both from the politician side of they're all black market, but also from the consumer side. You know, I remember when my parents caught me smoking pot and they asked if I was going to start growing it. And I was like, I don't need to grow pot. That's for people who are trying to sell pot. That's for you know, this massive industry business. Sure. And that's the mindset that a lot of people have still to this day. And so if, you know, it becomes as normal as like, hey, are you planting tomatoes in your yard this year or are you planting roses? No, I'm I'm planting a couple autoflower varieties. 
oh, that's cool. You know, like we were working with our florist for the wedding to incorporate cannabis from our grow into the bouquets, oh, something they've never done. And yeah, and it's it's cool because it helps to normalize it and not just normalize it in the sense we all, you know, oh, just make it normal. But like showing people quite literally in very specific ways that this can be done by your average adult with a real job and responsibilities kind of mentality. You know, like you can be a cannabis consumer and be a parent. You can be a cannabis grower and have a nine to five job. You can do dabs and be a C-suite executive. You know, like these are things that people have these disconnects. They're like, oh my God, I cannot imagine the CEO of a publicly traded company taking dabs over his lunch break. And I'm like, why? I see that all the time. Right. (laughs) You know, so like it's, it's just constantly making that like viewpoint of like things that they, they call it the two year test. And two years ago, the two years ago version of you would have looked to you now and been like, holy shit. Like, I would love to learn a little bit about anything you'd like to talk to me about. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> no doubt. There's other people at that path at the, or at that point in their journey along that path. And so that's where, you know, like if you're – and I have friends who are like, hey, I need grow help. I started this grow, blah, blah, blah. This is what my plants look like. I don't know what's wrong. And I'm like, look, like I, I would love to help you, but I don't know how. Like that's not my expertise. Like, yeah. I can point you in the right direction probably. And that's also kind of some of where this, you know, hobby grower, hobby advice kind of aspect has come in. Um, But like my, it's understanding what you know and also understanding what you don't know. You know what I mean? Like I very specifically know how to grow intense in residential properties on a small scale as a hobby grower with no profit motive. That disqualifies basically everyone who's growing right now as an existing grower. Totally. So that also creates this unique challenge of, okay, I don't want to convince someone who already likes to grow to grow with me as a hobby. They already have a hobby or they have a side hustle or they have a basement business or whatever you want to call it. Right. You know, that's not who I'm looking at. I'm quite literally looking at the dentists and the podiatrists and the, you know, accountants and the people who just smoke pot like and that's something that i think gets lost especially coming from a traditional industry like advertising into cannabis yeah you know when you're at an ad agency and you're the guy who always has a joint on him like you have a reputation you're kind of the go-to guy right. for wheat you know whereas like when you are that go-to guy and then you move to the mecca <laughs> yeah everyone's the go-to guy you or sure girl or yep. whatever you know like so it you lose that aspect and that's where kind of this unique challenge of normalizing versus the echo chamber, like everyone in cannabis here, we're very blessed to have the access to the things we do. I mean, if you think about the amount of extractors per capita that Colorado has compared to other legal markets, even you're like, Holy crap, there's a lot of extract being made in Colorado alone. And just by volume, that means we're evolving at a faster rate. And so there are things that I know and take for granted that other people don't. And funny enough, one of the people I did a profile on for the Ethos magazine, uh, he ended up being at a resort in Mexico with one of my Growhort students, and they were talking about full melt bubble hash. And you know, it wasn't something we'd covered in the class yet. They're still they were still midway through their veg cycle at that point. Um, and it this was a concentrate consumer that the student in question and. You know, he came back and was like, 
what do you know? Can you tell us everything you know about these kinds of things? And so just sharing that education and also sharing, just sharing education, you know, you know, like it's, yep. you can only speak to what you know confidently. And if you can't go, what is it? Four or five whys down. Like if you say, this is what I believe. And they say, why? And then you say this and they say, why they say, you know, you keep going down that train, mm-hmm. the more passionate you are and the more knowledgeable you are, you should never run out of answers. Whereas like, if you genuinely don't understand something and you hit the second or third why, and you're like, I don't know either learn it or don't talk about it, you know? And it's been something with teaching others as a whole that like when people ask you questions and they're like, Hey, how does this work? Or what? And you're like, you know, honestly, like I don't know. And now I have to learn. (laughs) Like, for example, I keep going back to photosynthetic rate, like 85 degrees is the optimal temperature for a plant's photosynthesis processes. It doesn't mean it's the best temp to grow at. Right. But that is like when people are like, what's the perfect temperature? 85, according Mm -hmm. to the plant. Now, there's so many other variables, but like I didn't know. I had to relearn. Like I know the role of temperature. I know the role of humidity. But it forced me to relearn that aspect of my grow. Gotcha. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, teaching others any skill set, doesn't matter what it is, makes you better at what you do. Totally. Um, Because it highlights those, it highlights shortcomings, but it also gives you strong signals. Like you were saying with, you know, how I fell here, the strong signal was that people were really resonating with what I do, which is a combination of, you know, using my formal education in, in my profession in cannabis. And I'm a hobby grower that, that openly grows, very publicly grows, shares the fact that I grow with everyone I meet, thinks everyone should grow, and is you know not afraid to share that perspective with the world, but also not afraid to live that perspective in front of the world. So yeah, that's, the more people that get excited by it, you know? That's super cool. I mean, that hits home with me because my day job is teaching uh, web development um, at uh, a boot camp. And what you said about, you know, teaching, kind of sharpening your own skills, it forces you to learn what you're doing at a deeper level. So you're not, like you're saying, you're not just memorizing like what you need to do, but you're getting that deeper why level of like, well, why do you have to do it that way? Like what makes that 80, like you mentioned the 85 degrees, like what makes that the best Uh, temperature like what if I go to a little bit hotter what if I'm cooler what's going to happen if I'm not there you know Um, right what if my humidity is too high do I need to back off the temperature you know like there's a million things that come into play like I I just got a message from one of our grow heart participants should I be worried about leaf color change or is that normal in the final stretch you know like and it's great because one I've we've created this space that people are open about asking questions Mm -hmm. and to answer his question, if he's listening, absolutely, it's normal. Uh, you're going through the flushing stage of the plant. It's using up its stores. But it's great that they're asking those questions. But also, if I didn't know the answer to that, it's a great forcing function for me as a grower, aside from my teaching and my profession and my personal development. It says, hey, you're a grower and you don't know the answer to this question. So here's something you don't know that you can go learn about. It's so cool because you get kind of the benefit of everyone else's edge case that you might not have run into on your own. And you're like, oh, well, now I know, like, even though I haven't been there myself, now vicariously I've lived that and had to come up with, like, a solution. And uh, you just have more tools in your tool belt that way. Yeah, and it's, you know, this has been a test case in a lot of ways. My 
my goal this started as I, I joke this started as a project called the Johnny Project and my good buddy Johnny uh, he's out in California I was determined to get him to start growing and I was like this is someone who has a good job has his life in check has the means and legal ability to grow and he should be growing and I'm going to do everything I can to twist his arm till he puts a grow tent up somewhere in his house and that transitioned into okay if I can get him to do it maybe I can get a couple other people to do it and if I can get a couple people to all do it all at once and it works, then it doesn't matter if it's three people and they're all in Colorado or if it's 300 people and they're all over the country. Like I can help people start. Sure. And I had this eye opening moment. I was talking to a couple of friends. One's a psychologist. One's in the writing space as well um, in a completely different realm. But I said, you know, like they said, I would if I needed to grow my first plant, I would call you. And I was like, wow, that's kind of a key insight because that's something I feel very confident helping somebody with. I couldn't tell you how to start a 16 lighter in your spare bedroom. Sure. Or, you know, but I can tell you how to grow your first plant with absolute confidence, with heartfelt sincerity, and be with you the whole process, holding your hand and glowing with excitement. You know, the fact that I have three people who have live flowering plants that are between one and three weeks away from chopping right now, like that. Three months ago, none of these people had ever grown wheat. That's so cool. And yeah, I have that in my notes too, because we had talked about this uh, a little bit earlier. Grow hort one to three weeks from harvest. So like your program is not that different from uh, how I teach web development. You get like a group that you just start up and everybody's just starting. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you go from seeds or from clones, but everybody's starting at the same point And then like, you're just there for the life cycle. Right. So you just, your lessons are based upon where they're at in their grow at that particular time. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's essentially, we all start at the same time. We all start from seed and you know, one of the big obstacles uh, among many, but one of the big obstacles when trying growing is the time commitment, you know, yep. it's, it's, a good 16 weeks if you're doing things right and everything's on track. Like that's four months. That's a long time for someone to maybe not like it or maybe do something wrong and end up with a big problem at the end, you know? And so that was the first obstacle. And so that's when I started really looking into kind of the modern version of autoflowers that are being bred right now and their ability to go from seed to harvest in 70 to 80 days. That was immediately like, okay, this might be possible. Um, and so, you know, we all start from seed with an autoflower that is a 70 to 80 day range seed. So what that does is it puts us for the spring cohort um, right at, they get to smoke their first samples on 420, Killer. which is a pretty cool pitch. You know, like you're like, hey, it's New Year's. You got a cool resolution. You want to smoke your own weed on 420? You can start right now. Um and so June, you know, they don't have 420 to look forward to, but there's still the excitement of growing. Um, but just just kind of playing it out. So everybody starts the same, and then we move through live sessions. There's 13 live sessions that I've planned out. As you said, some of them focus specifically on where they're at in the grow. You know, we've done all sorts of different preparatory classes to help them learn to feed and learn dry downs and learn temperatures and learn lighting and things like that. Um, but then there's also live sessions that are designed to just kind of offer them a future resource to kind of deep dive, you know, with everything in cannabis, you realize what 
you like, what you don't like, what you don't like as much. You know, for example, I tried my hand at making seeds in my two by two last year. It was fun. Not something that like, I'm like, oh my God, I need to drop everything and start making seeds. Sure. Wasn't as fun to me as making hash, for example. Um, And so like exposing people to this and that's where this kind of hash, this hobby hash course came in. They came back from that Mexico resort and were like, I want to learn everything about extracts. And I was like, okay, well I make solventless extracts because I'm a hobby grower and I have product and I smoke hash and I can teach you how to do that. So really just, you know, trying to give them as many resources as possible to both build a foundation, but also give them avenues to explore further. So the hardest part so far, I think has been the first three weeks. You know, when you are going from seed form to needing a live plant, that involves germination, that involves planting, that involves successfully getting that planted seed to root and establish a root base and not flooding it and killing it and yeah. having it keel over because it's so dry. And just outside of any specific hobby, the first three weeks of any new habit are hard. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's why I did the whole thing on the make it to week three because – like with a plant, it's easy to see. Once you get that part, things start happening. It's sure. all of a sudden exciting. But in general, with any habit or hobby, whether it's running or playing an instrument or whatever, if you can get through three weeks of establishing that habit, you're on you're on to something there. You know, whereas like if you can't make it that far, then it might not be for you. And it may have nothing to do with your shortcomings. You just may not like it. Sure. Um I think that with growing, because the first three weeks are very challenging, both because they're not familiar with growing, but also because of the plant's delicacy being a seedling, it, it's more susceptible to problems those first three weeks. Um, that's where my goal as a teacher is also to retain attention. So we have more frequent live sessions. You know, We're talking about things that may not just be specific to okay you're on week three here's what to do you know we're talking through things like uh, ipm plant sitting plant sitting was a huge thing because you know that was another big question that came up was oh uh, in mid-march i'm going to mexico <laughs> what do i do, do sure I, you know and so having my buddy who he and i you know we reciprocate with each other as far as plant sitting having him on and we got to chit chat about how to do that properly and, you know, not worry about your grow. Um, just giving them enough engagement that even if it's not exciting in the beginning, they don't toss in the towel, you know, like they're still excited. And then when it finally happens, like now everyone in the program has been like, Oh my God, I can't wait to smoke my top cola. Oh my God. Definitely. And so it's, it's cool to see it's heartwarming. You know, I, I, often do these live sessions later in the evenings because of, you know, I'm working with people who have quote unquote real jobs, nine to five office work. And yep. so we're doing these things later at night. I, as someone who worked from home, who get up as an early morning person, I'm often starting to fade, you know, and we get on, like, it's like talking to you guys tonight. Like I get lit up by these conversations and I really enjoy talking with people who are this passionate about the plant and helping them become more passionate is just, it's an added catalyst. I love that. Yeah, that's such a cool thing. I'm the kind of guy that's uh it's tough for me to just keep personal motivation on some sort of a pet project that I'm just doing all myself like self-taught and self-motivated versus having other people, even if it's like a virtual connection or a remote connection, 
you go on and and not only can you get your questions answered if you run into problems, but it's just that uh, that accountability factor of yeah. Oh, there's somebody else who's like genuinely interested in. Hey, man, how is that coming? Like, uh, have you been keeping up with it? Have you you know what's your right. progress looking like? So no, absolutely, and it's it's not only that you know, and it's like they say that there's two factors. One is like you're saying, and then two is like getting a community where. It's not them posting and waiting for me to respond. It's them engaging with each other as well. Sure. You know, Um, but like you said, with the forcing function with learning, you know, I'll be honest with you. So I launched this idea in October and sold these three spots and it it launched in January. And my intention, my, like you said, my good hearted, pure intention was I'm going to spend all of November building everything for this class. I'm going to build all the live sessions, all the downloads, all the slides, all the resources, all the emails, everything. And I made a decent progress. Like I got like 30 emails pre-written and scheduled. I got like the first four live sessions scripted and outlined. I picked all the giveaway bonuses. You know, we've given away like more than a thousand dollars worth of bonuses so far. Um, And I did all of that. But then like anything, like you talk about, you fall into this fatigue. You're like, ah, live session six is like two months from now. Why do I need to do this in November? I'm not going to worry about it. And now, you know, we're coming up on live session 10 is a week from today. Yep. And one, you know, I've kind of gotten into this rhythm and routine now. So things are a little bit easier, but I'm building these, you know, very much in real time and not because of procrastination, but mostly because the the ideas that I had in my head about what I needed to teach aren't often like sometimes they line up perfectly and sometimes there's huge chunks that I left out. Totally. You know that, oh, I should have told you this. Or for example, you know, I've I've never topped an autoflower. Personally, I've never done it. I've always been told not to do it. But it was a question, you know, because you top photos. Right. You, you could top autos. When and how would you do it if you were going to? Well, Shit, I don't know. So I had to spend some time learning, you know, and yep. talking to people like talking to Colin at Ethos and talking to other people I know that grow autoflowers and coming up with a consensus. Okay, generally speaking, if you're going to do it, which is advised not to, but if you're going to do it, you do it before week three. Well, we learned this in week five. Gotcha. So that's not super helpful. Sure. You know? like, Can't go back and, in time and top them. Right. I'm like, sorry, can't help you here. Um, so, you know, like that's something that if, I hadn't been doing this with them. Like I grow the plant alongside the students. I guess I should have said that too. So we're all growing the same plant. It's not just them. Um, So I get to see, you know, I'm like, oh shit, this is happening. Maybe it's happening for them. And then they see me sharing and they're like, oh, this is happening for me. Is this happening for you? Um, You know, like things like taking a picture of your plant when it's not thirsty and when it's had some time to wake up. Your plant's going to look a lot happier when you post that photo on Instagram. It's not going to look like it's slumped down sickly. Sure. Yep. Just little tips and things. So I would absolutely agree that like it, whatever you're building, like there's something to be said about a balance between building in private and building in public without question. Like I wouldn't just say, just start, you know, you'll figure it out. Cause you like, you can build a plane mid flight, but you still need wings and an engine. You know, like there are some basics that you need to know. Yep. Um, but I think that like if you, for example, with web b- development, you know, if you were launching a class, to teach JavaScript or something like having those weekly check-ins where you're like, all right, well on Sunday I have to talk about this, whether I'm prepared or not, yeah. they're going to be there. I'm going to be there and they're expecting me to talk so I can just free ball it or 
I can actually prepare myself. And that's where, you know, it's, it's fun. It's like one of those things where you're like, ah, it's so easy to teach. And then you, like when you try to teach something, I mean, if you've ever guest lectured anywhere for anything, even if it's a club and you made a presentation, you know, like it takes work just sitting down and putting your thoughts into that format. And so now what I'm looking forward to is with the June cohort, like we're, we're already doing, I've already sent out acceptance letters and we're starting to get people uh, signed up for June is like, I'm going to have everything built. Version 1.0 will be done. So then my whole focus for the June cohort is how do I make version 2.0? How do we make this better? You know, how do we make this easier? How do we streamline this? Like there are things that I have thought of and things that I would like to do that I've backburnered because it was like, don't work on that build the damn thing. Sure. You know, then paint the rims, then put a hood, a scoop on the hood, you know, whatever you want to do. Right. Like you need the car to run before you start making it look cool. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely relate to that. That's, that's very cool though, man, that you've got this whole, uh, weed version of like a, a boot camp, basically. I mean, thanks. Yeah. It's been fun. You know, it's, uh, it's, if you'd asked me when I graduated Mizzou, if I thought I would be teaching people how to grow weed remotely on zoom, (laughs) not, you know, I never would have guessed, but, uh, it's, it's really, it's been a fun, fun journey. Yeah. It seems that way. And it seems like just, uh, you've adapted to it so well. Um, I had a couple other notes here for questions um bro i got all the time this is fun okay tight (laughs) awesome what one thing that stuck out to me on uh your socials over the years it was the first time i ever saw a uh a fully blunted out um blunt wrapped in the cannabis leaf it was like pure cannabis blunt and um i can't really exactly remember the context in which you shared it uh it was something i I feel like Like it was a canagar yeah yeah the canagar and um, I'm just interested, like, the story behind that and also maybe some of your favorite products you've seen as this market evolves. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I love Canagars. They, the term has become very colloquial. So, you know, even now a pretty thick joint, some people might refer to as a Canagar, but traditionally in my mind and in a lot of people's minds, a Canagar is a rolled cigar with nothing but cannabis product in it so that's dry herb that's cannabis oils and resins used as the sealers and binders and that's cannabis leaves used as the wrap and so it's not an easy thing to do i've attempted it a couple times and you know like even even as someone who rolls a lot of blunts and a lot of joints it's it is an advanced craft done by very advanced uh technicians you know or people who are craftsmen um I you get halfway through and it falls apart or yeah. it doesn't start it doesn't burn or you use too much hash and then and so now it's all gooey and sticky and you know and it eventually just becomes bong bowls or <laughs> whatever um but the art of rolling is something I've always loved I had a good good friend of mine uh he had his bachelor party in Denver and I I learned how to weave blunts so that I could do kind of the basket weave with the different colors and patterns and things like that um, as a fun way to do it, you know, and those are often referred to as gars. Um, you know, I personally, I love, I was introduced to cannabis through blunts. It was a Swisher suite on MKT trail next to the taco bell, you know? So like 
my I just have a personal inclination. Like I just enjoy blunts. The process of rolling it is cathartic. It's very you know ritualistic as a whole. Breaking down the weed by hand, rolling it up, and you know ha- having since evolved from splitting swishers to rolling backwards, you know it's very much part of me as a cannabis consumer. With that said, I did a newsletter comparing backwards to cigarettes and in doing so and in doing that research it became very obvious to me you know we all know that tobacco is not good for you but it became even more obvious to me how much we rationalize that as weed smokers that like blunts sure Um, you're like ah put enough weed in there it doesn't matter all out there's four to one weed to tobacco weight i gutted it you know right even still it's still if you smoke like if you smoke three or four backwards a day, that's essentially a couple cigarettes a day. Yep. Um, and that's not something that even I wanted to hear. And so, you know, like I said before, you do trade offs. Everyone has different ways of managing their risks and things that they're okay with. For me, completely abstaining from blunts wasn't an option. And I've experimented with kind of a variety of ways. It was okay. I'm a, I'm also a runner. For every mile I run, I can smoke that many blunts. Okay, you know, it's whatever. So this year's rationalization is odd months are out, meaning every month that there's a celebration this year, like April's 420, August's my birthday, October's my wedding, you know, Christmas is December, like all these different things happen to fall on even months. So I was just like, fuck it, I'll just give up blunts for six months out of the year. So every other month I just, you know, stop smoking. And... It's, you know, it's a challenge, especially when that's one of your preferred ways to smoke. But at the end of the day, you know, health becomes a factor the older we get. And so yep. if I'm not going to give them up completely, reducing it at least is is a an impact to that, that behavior. Uh, a wise mentor of mine always likes to say, everything in moderation, including moderation. Huh, there you go. Um, I, I forget the second half of your question, but whatever. I, I always, (laughs) well, I always like to hear, um, I think this is a good kind of thing to, uh, wrap everything on. I always like to hear people's like origin story when it comes to weed itself. And you had mentioned, uh, you know, coming to it, uh, with blunts on the Katy trail, but I always like this two parter of like the first time you heard about weed, we usually hear about weed like really young and it's kind of in this like miss filled with mystery and danger. And like, oh, it's gonna, it's like so bad for you and leads to other drugs and all of this. But then, usually, for those of us who become uh, weed smokers, there's this like second meeting with weed where we actually find it and try it and kind of realize this isn't really what they warned us about. And so, I'm just always interested to hear, you know, people's origin stories in that nature. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. So I, I'll you know keep it brief, but I remember multiple, uh, a few key points. So I remember waiting for the bus, like junior year of high school, like leaving school, and someone offering me weed and be like, "What? No, I don't want to smoke weed." You know, like well, I'm not a loser. Like we, <laughs> school is cool. Like whatever. Right. Um, total dweeb. <laughs> and then I remember freshman year of high school. Um, at North Mecklenburg High in North Carolina, I remember the student newspaper, which was like a new thing for, you know, the high school. And they had an op-ed about legalizing marijuana. And I was like, holy shit, like, they're openly talking about this. Yeah. Like, they put their name on that. Like, whoa. And being so like, wow, okay, like, there's 
there's bases here for maybe not believing everything I've been told. And so, you know, then fast forward to it was my freshman year at Mizzou was the first time I actually smoked. And uh, I mean, it was like I didn't wait. Like it was like the first week of college. Don't get me wrong. But like it was um, that was my first introduction. And I didn't you know, I didn't get high my first time. Nobody gets high their first time seemingly. But um, it it found its way as, you know, a. Like senior year of college was when I kind of committed to, okay, I'm either all in on weed or I'm not. And meaning not like I was going to work in it, but that like I was not going to be afraid to be like, oh, yeah, I was a normal or, oh, yeah, I take photos of Bud or, you know, any of those kinds of things. I wasn't it was no longer that was just part of who I was, you know. Totally. Yeah, that's that's um, that's kind of crazy. I had the moment of commitment right before I went to Mizzou, it was like throughout my senior year, I discovered pot and got actually high for the first time and uh, had all those the kind of, oh, wow, revelation moments. But then it was my uh, after graduating high school, before going to Mizzou, I went to do like the freshman orientation. And then I went straight from Mizzou down to scout camp, which had already been, it was like day two or three. It was already in session. And I'd been going to scout camp since I was 11. And uh, a lot of my friends had also just discovered weed. Like we had all kind of found that for the first time. And so they wanted to, you know, bring it all down there and um, go a little bit too crazy. And so I like tried to distance myself from that. Like, hey, you know, we're in this environment that's really not great for that. Uh, We could always like go way, way, way out in the woods where nobody's going to know what we're up to. Uh, But my one of my good friends ended up getting hauled off because they were just too loud and too stupid with it. And, uh, that was the moment for me. I would like turn from a weed. It's this thing that's like fun to do to like seeing him put in the County jail over it. I was like, nah, this is something that like is, goes a little bit deeper for me. Like I'm, I'm committed to this until something changes because this is just wrong. Like, and so that's why I appreciate like you keeping the drug war inmates letters, uh, you know, that's part of a focus of your work. And yeah, no, um, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's, it is a counterpoint to all of this, you know, like, unfortunately this hasn't progressed in any sort of rational way. Yeah. Uh, fortunately it's progressing, but it, you know, it hasn't done it in a way that makes a lot of sense to people outside like when you if you take like when I sat my mom down and I explained things like, well, there's still people in jail for pot. And they're like, but it's legal. And you're like, yep. Yeah. They're like, wait, but why are they in jail? Well, because it wasn't legal when they did the thing they did. They're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know? where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, I think it, I mean, it's important to highlight. I think it's also, you know, it's important that people take full advantage of the rights that we've gained because of the sacrifices people have made. You know, like if you're not fully utilizing this access to the plant, then that's, you know, like that's someone's sacrifices that went to waste. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to look at it. Oh man. Well, I'm looking at smoke more weed. There you go, (laughs) man. Smoke more weed, smoke more weed, grow more weed. I love it. Smoke weed every day. That uh, <laughs> that first huh. thing you said reminded me of this drop. Uh, uh, now I gotta grab it. Well, if you want to be like me, a loser, go ahead and smoke. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, 
Well, yeah. I always go back to Friday. It's a, uh, what? You ain't got nothing to do. You ain't got no jobs. I'm get you high. <laughs> exactly. Well, man, it's coming up on the two hour mark. Time has just flown by, but uh, it was so great to catch up with you, man, and uh, talk about your journey and uh, what you got going on. Any links or uh, places people should uh, reach out and find you? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as you said, Cannabinoid on the major platforms, Ben with an E, not an I, and growhort.co or startahobbygrow.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, love you. Have, have you back. Uh, I won't yeah. wait. I won't wait a year and a half. Next time. <laughs> Keep me posted, man. <laughs> this has been fun. I definitely love to tune in and uh, shoot the shit with you. Awesome. And yeah, thanks all you bowlers out there for hanging along and uh just remember if you're using a nude podcast app uh you can boost this episode forever and ever ben will get a third of the split uh for all your boosts so we'd very much appreciate all of our boosters we will be back at it next tuesday night and every tuesday night right around 9 p.m uh now central daylight time welcome to the new schedule (laughs) uh so we will see you at that point in time, uh, till then, you know, I'll always remain Sir Spencer, Wolf of Kansas City. I'll be Dame DeLorean. And I'm Ben Owens, Cannabinoid. Until next time, bowlers, may your bowls burn ever brighter. You're not going to end prohibition by getting arrested. You make weed look so uncool. Rule of being a smoker is it's bad manners to keep bumming all the damn time. Take you a nap. Clothing is optional, but pot is not. You can't. I'm a supporter of human beings. Bing, 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 bing. What? 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 Bing. Dance and move your legs around. Bowl after bowl till he's sick. Bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl.com.